This is Connor Lennon from UN News. The solutions to restoring the health of the ocean, which provides us with oxygen, food and livelihoods, are out there. And in 100 days, they'll be on the spotlight in Lisbon, Portugal, at the second ever UN Oceans Conference. The event, taking place this June, will be a critical opportunity to mobilise partnerships and increase investment to fight ocean pollution, overfishing and other challenges. Laura Quinones spoke to the UN Secretary-General's Special Envoy for the Ocean, Peter Thompson, and he began by explaining how UN Ocean Conferences came into existence and why they're important. When we brought SDG 14 into existence back in 2015 with the other 17 Sustainable Development Goals, SDG 14, to conserve and sustainably manage the resources of the ocean, didn't really have a home. You know, it wasn't like the health SDG, which had WHO, or the agriculture one, which had FAO, and so on. So the, uh, particularly the advocates for SDG 14, who are the small island developing states uh, and some of the coastal states and some of our allies, we said that we need some kind of discipline to ensure that the implementation of SDG 14 was on track, and if it wasn't, how to bring it on track. So that's how the first UN Ocean Conference came into existence in 2017, mandated by the UN General Assembly. Uh, and now we have the second UN Ocean Conference, which is, as you say, happening in Lisbon this year. So this is the process that keeps SDG 14 honest, and uh, that honesty, of course, is extremely important because there is no healthy planet without a healthy ocean, as the mantra goes. How much have we advanced in ocean conservation since the last ocean conference? Definitely not enough. There was a, a target for uh, 2020 to have 10% of the ocean covered in uh, marine protected areas. Uh, we got to close to 8%. You know, we need to do a lot more work on this because marine protected areas are an essential part of saving the health of the ocean. Now, in the Kunming CBD uh, COP, uh, 15 this year, you know, this is the biodiversity COP. Uh, there is a proposal which 84 countries, I think at last count, are supporting uh, for there to be a 30 by 30 target. In other words, 30% of the planet actually, uh, which obviously includes the ocean, uh, being protected by 2030. So that's a lot more ambitious than what we currently have in SDG 14.5, which is the one that sets out that 10% one. But uh, it's one which I believe is achievable and uh, we're moving in that direction. Climate change is a matter of survival, but especially when we speak about small island developing states. Uh, as a Fijian yourself, Mr. Ambassador, what would you tell to people around the world to relate to what is happening in, in these states? Uh, the news is not good. And you've seen the latest IPCC report you know, I'm a grandfather, and uh, you know what I care about. Uh, and looking around at my friends in Fiji with their grandchildren is the security of our grandchildren. And we understand that it's not just small island developing states; it's people living in river deltas. Think of Bangladesh or the Mekong, and it's people living in cities that are built on uh, low alluvial uh, foundations. The security does not look good for them for a two to three degree world, which is you know, where we're currently heading. So that's why you'll find that the small island developing states, Fiji amongst them, are at the forefront of the battle uh, to 
transform our consumption and production patterns so that we don't go to that two to three degree world. 1.5, as the saying goes, uh, 1.5 to stay alive. Uh, That's still our ambition. It's getting uh, diminishing every day in terms of the possibility of keeping to 1.5. But uh, we're the ones that call for that ambition to be high. Whether you're from a small island developing state or a river delta, it's a matter of survival of not just grandchildren, but of of cultures that have existed for thousands of years in those locations. What concrete actions um, can we take to to keep 1.5 alive and protect our ocean? Well, you know, go to the UNFCCC uh, COP26, see what came out of that, uh, where we're heading for COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh in November. And, you know, it's about cutting down the use of fossil fuels, obviously. You don't need me to tell you that. But, uh, you know, those coal-burning activities, every belch that comes out of every one of those chimneys is another uh, nail in the coffin of those countries, which are uh, those environments which I've just been talking about. And, you know, let's be honest with ourselves. It's every one of us. As we come out of this COVID pandemic, uh, are we going to just go back to what we were doing before, or are we going to try and eat more sustainably, travel more sustainably, shop more sustainably. Has the pandemic taught us a lesson? Hopefully it has, and we'll be building back uh, not just better, but we'll be building back uh, greener and bluer. What do you think is hindering the progress to protect the oceans? Well, uh, progress for me in terms of ocean protection is all about implementing SDG 14 and that's, you know, as you know, got quite a few targets. It's about pollution. It's about overfishing. Uh, it's about the effects of greenhouse gas emissions. It's about getting marine protected areas in place and so on. First of all, I think it's very doable. I'm, I'm, I, I don't lose sleep on whether we're going to achieve this or not. We are going to achieve this by 2030. I think of things like SDG 14.6, to rid the world of harmful fisheries subsidies that lead to overfishing and lead to illegal fishing and so on. That is a very doable act. And the time to do it is at the WTO ministerial conference in June this year. A doable thing. And who's going to do it? The member states of this world. And if they fail, they fail all of us. Are they going to do it? I'm sure they will, because they've looked at Nairobi and saw that member states in Nairobi grasped that nettle of consensus and said, let's do the right thing by people and planet. Let's get this treaty to ban and uh, control plastic pollution. Let's bring it into, re- in, into reality. They've appointed an intergovernmental negotiating committee to get that treaty up and running, uh, and uh, they, they will finish their work on that by the end of 2024. So it's doable. This stuff is doable. Uh, that's, Mar- that's SDG 14.1, by the way, uh, which is why I'm so excited about it, because when you talk about marine pollution, which is SDG 14.1, 80% of it is plastic. So by getting this treaty in place, an internationally binding treaty in place to combat uh, plastic pollution, we're going we're to hit that 14.1 target. No problem. Do you remember any solutions or have you seen any solutions that people are actually implementing right now to protect the ocean that you would like to highlight? Look, there's a thousand solutions and uh, a fleet of them will be launched at the UN Ocean Conference in Lisbon. But you know, rather than going into individual ones, uh, I would say be prepared for that fleet. Um, 
One that I particularly like talking about is nutrition. You know, we all know that the sea provides very healthy nutrition compared with some of the other things that are produced on land. We don't eat what our grandparents ate. We have a totally different diet, uh, which is, in fact, why obesity is such a problem around the world. Uh, but our grandchildren will be eating very differently from what we eat. Uh, they won't be eating big fish, for example. They'll be, they'll, they'll, they will still be eating fish, but they'll be small fish which are grown uh, in sustainable aquaculture conditions. They'll be eating a lot more algae, and that may not sound appetizing to you, but you're already eating it in your sushi with the, the nori that's around your sushi. That's seaweed, right? That's algae. The biggest source of food in the world, really, is unexploited by anybody other than uh, whales, uh, phytoplankton. You know, we'll be, they will be eating some kind of marine tofu, which is made from phytoplankton. We'll be farmers of the sea rather than hunter-gatherers, which is what we still are. It's the only place we still are, which is out on the ocean. So those sort of transformations uh, are underway, uh, but we have to invest in the transformations, uh, and we have to start doing that now. And as individuals, what can I do to protect the ocean? What can I do to support this very important thing? Uh, I think you have to think first about uh, source to sea, very important. Uh, you know, see people throwing cigarette butts into the gutter, and they don't think about the fact that you know the filter of that cigarette is microplastics, and that it's it's heading in one direction, which is down the drain into the sea eventually, and that's more microplastics going into to the ocean, and the microplastics, of course, are coming back to them when they're eating their fish and chips uh, because those microplastics are being absorbed into life in the ocean. That cycle is going on, whether people realize it or not. So, I think source to sea really important, but uh, you know that that relates to our industries, to agriculture, to the chemicals that are coming down the same drains and rivers out into the sea and uh, poisoning the lagoons that we rely on for healthy marine ecosystems. So, what can we do? We can just adopt a better behavior as human beings in that regard, in terms of pollution. Uh, look at your plastic use and say, do I really need all this plastic in my life? You know, I'm old enough to remember a world with no plastic. It was very nice, thank you. You can make your own decisions about your, your nutrition, but I remember my wife and I, when we were living here in New York, looking at, at, at you know just one more report about what beef was doing to the Amazon, and uh, we looked at a photo of our grandchildren and said, what do we love more, you know, hamburgers or uh, our grandchildren? And we decided then and there, it was about five years ago, to give up beef. Uh, do you need to own a car? I mean, a lot of people do need to own cars, but um, my wife and I, we haven't had a car. We've been living in cities now for quite a while. We haven't had a car for decades. Uh, you rely on public transport and walking, which of course is the best way to get around. Individuals have to make the right choices that make this world a sustainable place. Going back to the Oceans Conference that's coming up, what's the key thing you're expecting to achieve in that conference? You know, uh, there's so many levels of that. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't know if you were at the COP26 in Glasgow, but <clears throat> yeah, um, look, the hard work that goes on in plenary of related to text, right, and agreements. But uh, I have to be honest with you, I didn't go into plenary at all. Uh, and I was so tied up in what was happening around the outside of plenary with all these new ideas and all these side events and, and all the uh, displays and so on. 
there was just so much to learn up there outside of plenary. So you've got the people that need to go into plenary and do the hard work on the texts and the agreements and putting their national positions, and that's a necessary part of a UN conference. But in, in Lisbon, we also want to generate outside of that formal process just the uh, excitement of new ideas, of innovation, uh, and that'll be in these side events. And I'm very confident that there's going to be this innovation which is going to be visible in that carnival-type atmosphere that you develop around that central core of the conference. Of course, science-based, innovative partnerships is the other big thing, public and private, and uh, north and south, east and west. This is a universal moment. A UN conference is always a universal moment. And uh, the first ocean conference in 2017 was a game changer in terms of uh, waking the world up to the ocean's problems. I think this conference in Lisbon in June is going to be about providing the solutions to the problems that we've alerted the world to. And I'm very confident that uh, those solutions are going to emerge uh, when we get there. We really, really hope so as well. UN Secretary General, Special Envoy for the Ocean, Ambassador Peter Thompson. I'm Laura Quiñones, UN News.